All right, we are live, folks. We are going to be talking about, you know what? It's Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving tomorrow. Uh, so we're going to be doing a little bit of a Thanksgiving theme here. Uh, I've got a full panel, and we're all going to be talking about different policy items that we are thankful for this year. We did something very similar last year. I think it was a success, so we're going to try it out this year. And with time remaining, we're also going to be talking about the seemingly World Economic Forum endorsed crickets for dinner. So we'll talk about that and more on episode 373 of the In the Tank podcast. Welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. And joining me today, I've got a full boat. I've got Jim Lakely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing just great. We have no producer today. Andy's off because of Thanksgiving, but I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I am going to be cooking the turkey. Um, later this afternoon, I'll be making the brine. And then uh, the turkey will be delicious tomorrow. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I just love the smells and the tastes of Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Excellent, excellent. Also joining us, we have got uh, Justin Haskins. I don't know what your title is anymore. So what's going on, Justin? Um, just uh, not too much. I'm gearing up for Indigenous Peoples Day. Um I, uh, I'm, I'm Wait, really I thought that excited. Was on Columbus Day wasn't that a Columbus uh, Day thing? Well, every day for me is Indigenous Peoples Day okay. because I'm not a racist like you. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really excited um, to celebrate the festivities tomorrow. Um, it's possible that I might get dragged to a work function. Not my uh, obviously not a work function with you guys, but with a different work function. And um, I'm really hoping that falls through. So I'm rooting hard for that. Um, Right now, my plan is to use the baby as an excuse to get out of it. But oh, that's the best reason of having a baby. It's a, it's I know, but I'm I'm a little I'm a little worried that they're suspicious. So it's tough. It's tough. Like the baby um, coughed. I can't go. Yeah, that's what we're that's 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 where we're going. I think. Yeah, we're 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 checking her temperature uh, seven times a day to try to make sure there's no abnormalities. And if gotcha, there are gotcha. any abnormalities at all, then you're out we're out also yeah. joining us chris talgo editorial director at the heartland institute what yeah What's going on, chris not too much johnny looking forward to thanksgiving and uh just want to congratulate jim on a spectacular turkey that was uh cooked a couple days ago for heartland's uh inaugural thanksgiving it was great he did a great job everyone made awesome side dishes and it was a very good time so Jim yes. made multiple turkeys. You're making multiple turkeys this year. Is that what's well, going I, on? I, I made one last week for Heartland Thanksgiving, which we all mm -hmm. got together and we have a kitchen here in the building, not here in the building. I'm home now, but uh, at the Heartland Institute home office. And yeah, I made a, uh, a 12 pound turkey for everybody. And it was a uh, great, nice practice for uh, my family turkey tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, we get the, uh, the test run of it. That's right. 
Um, so this is a little bit of a different episode. Like I kind of mentioned in the intro of all of this, usually I have a bunch of prepared notes so that I can, you know, uh, navigate my way through a handful of stories and make sure that everybody gets an input on, uh, you know, what, what story that we're talking about this time. I have very little notes, basically nothing, especially for this whole first section. I thought given it that it's a holiday tomorrow, I thought that it's going to be a little bit more free flowing of an episode, a little bit more on the banter side, as opposed to trying to, you know, give you, give you all insightful content and all of that, uh, a little bit of a kind of a recap episode, a little bit more than anything. Um, but I do want to mention that even though it's not a Thursday, our typical, typical day that we go live, I do want to put that message out there to all of the audio only listeners that are catching this a day or two later that uh, you should join us typically on Thursdays at noon central time for our episode of in the tank podcast, where you can join in the conversation, put your comments and questions. Maybe we'll show your comment on screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. And also you can help us out by hitting uh, the like button, hitting the subscribe button, leaving a comment underneath the video, all things that help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent people from seeing uh, this content, seeing more people from seeing this content. So, so gentlemen, uh, when we were putting together the topics of this uh, this episode, I thought that it would be kind of fun to do a little bit of a uh, kind of a Thanksgiving theme where we all bring something to the table. So, so Chris, you mentioned the uh, you know like the Heartland Thanksgiving where everyone brought a side uh, to this to the to our little gathering. I thought we could do the same thing on a podcast version of that where we each bring a topic of discussion representing something that we are uh, thankful for, something that we're grateful for that transpired over these past 12 months. So with that, I do have one in mind. Jim, you didn't put that in the email that I, I was also bringing a, uh, something to the dinner, but uh, I'll, I'll save that. And uh, why, don't we, why don't we start off why don't we start off with Jim? Why don't, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us what you are? what you're bringing to the table with something that you're thankful for. It doesn't necessarily have to be policy. It could just be a newsy item, but something, what, what do you got? Well, what I got is that uh, it's uh, Musk buying Twitter and driving the left bonkers because they no longer have uh, monopoly ideological control over the platform. Uh, they don't get to control completely as much as they can public discourse again on just one platform and coordinate with the federal government on labeling anything that differs from their viewpoint as disinformation. Uh, and, you know, I've said before uh, what Elon Musk is doing uh, is, is something I've talked about in the past. You know, why can't we just go back to the way social media operated uh, until about, I don't know, November 2016? You know, people said what they wanted to say and people either, you know, they dealt with it or they ignored it. Uh, but we couldn't do that after the 2016 election because our betters in the corrupt legacy media uh, and then these other leftist activist group uh, fact checkers, so-called, so uh, they never forgave themselves for uh, allowing Trump to become president. Uh, and if they convinced themselves that if they just had more control over political speech in America, that uh, Trump's election would have been prevented. Hillary would be actually entering her second term by now. So they started uh, doing this. They started canceling speech that disagrees with the latest liberal thing. And Elon Musk put an end to that, at least on Twitter. He uh, appears to be returning us to the pre-2016 election norm, which is how uh, social media is supposed to be. 
So, uh, you know, I'm very happy about that because, you know, it, it, just watching the left, uh, the media uh, kind of lose their minds because you and me and the listeners to this podcast and uh, regular people are allowed to speak. Uh, and it was kind of funny. Uh, CBS News the other day, uh, last weekend, made an announcement on Friday afternoon. I got, a, got the quote here uh, that, quote, in light of the uncertainty around Twitter and out of an abundance of caution, CBS News is pausing its activity on the social media site as it continues <laughs> to monitor the platform. I mean, that's hilarious. Come on, you know. Uh, but, you know, what uncertainty were they talking about? Right. Uh, that people are allowed to speak more freely that, uh, uh, you know, so they're going to monitor the platform because people are speaking more freely and then making it even funnier is that, and I even said this for this, <laughs> when, uh, when I saw that CBS announced that they're going to suspend their Twitter activity out of an abundance of caution, uh, I turned to a friend of mine and I said, they'll be back very soon. It won't last the weekend. And I was right. 40 hours after they yeah. made that big, big announcement, they came back and said uh, on Sunday morning, they announced, quote, after pause, uh, pausing for much of the weekend to assess the security concerns, CBS News and stations uh, is resuming its activity on Twitter as we continue to monitor the situation. Now, it is Elon Musk that we can thank for that public display of ass hattery that we got <laughs> from CBS News. CBS News, the network of Walter Cronkite, the Tiffany network, the, the elite of our news lose their minds and completely beclown themselves uh, on Twitter for that, for exposing they're such drama queens. It is so ridiculous. Thank you, Elon Musk. Thank you very much. I will have an extra scoop of mashed potatoes in your honor. <laughs> is beclown yourself? Is that a new term? Did you just coin that? Or is that, is that oh, a I real word? That's a real word. I did not. I did not. Uh, oh, <laughs> I, did, I did. I did not. Uh, that's that not should be the thing. that should be the year that should be the term of the year. <laughs> I think, uh, Justin. I think um, you might rival Jim uh, in terms of people that are active on Twitter. Uh, what what is your reaction to all of the stuff that's been going on with uh, with that platform? Yeah, I gave up on Twitter a long time ago. In some ways, I kind of thought of all the platforms, it was most likely to go super hard woke and eliminate basically all dissent of, of any kind from the typical left-wing narrative. That was, that really seemed like the direction that Twitter was headed in. I mean, it really did. And the fact that Elon Musk managed to pull this off is, is pretty astounding. The guy had to spend 40 something billion dollars or whatever in order to make it happen, which is even more astounding but the idea that you would have you would have a uh, you would have someone stand up for freedom in the way that he has really is remarkable because it's not just about what happens on Twitter. It's about having another place to go if all the others decide to to, you know, run headlong into full blown authoritarianism. And that's the thing that people don't appreciate is that historically speaking, these big tech companies all operate in concert. They all do the exact same things at the exact same times. And so when one of them starts banning people, they all ban people. That's why when one banned Donald Trump, they all banned Donald Trump, right? Like right. That's, that's how it works. But now it, by having this option, it's almost 
it becomes much harder for the others to go too far in that direction or else they really will lose customers. Whereas right now, or the way the system has gone prior to Elon Musk is it didn't really matter because you, you just had to swallow the pill, right? Mm. Because you didn't have any other options. And yeah, then you had some, you had parlor pop up and they destroyed that. So there was no option there. And then you had a couple of others that, you know, Getter and, and Truth Social and stuff. And that's kind of like a Twitter, but not, but it wasn't drawing enough people from the, from the wider population that the big shots really cared if, if, you know, a small number of people jumped over there. So by having a massive platform um, st stick to this free speech thing, it really does force the others to at least to some degree adhere to that. Uh, you know, I wish I wish that we had this for uh, the big television networks, right? I wish you had someone like Elon Musk buy CBS News, because mm. that would have the same effect. ABC and NBC would have to at least try to play it a little bit more to the center if there was one of the three that was going in that direction. But because in almost every aspect of life, all of these institutions all walk in the same direction. It's the first time we've seen a major institution move further toward freedom uh, in the last, I don't know, 20 years. Then, then I can't think of another example of that happening. So, that, so really, it's even—it's not even really about Twitter. It's about what impact that might have in the long run over all these other institutions. And and for that reason, I do think it—it's a huge, huge moment, um, and for free speech on the internet, certainly for social media, certainly, but also just for the wider political discourse in America. It really is that important. So the, the best part about it, the best part of the story is highlighted uh, by TM in the chat here. I got the comment on the screen. The B is back. Babylon B being back is the best part. You know, Trump being back. Great. Uh, Project Veritas being back. Fantastic. Uh, libs of TikTok. Great. But the B being back is the best part about Twitter. <laughs> I saw one of their one of their first stories back was, uh, you know, because everyone's like with Musk taking over. I'm leaving the platform. I'm out of here. All of that. So the B had a headline that was like the Taliban promises to leave Twitter after, you know, allowing Trump back on the platform or something like that. That was fantastic. But Chris, you watched the corporate media so that I don't have to. Uh, has there been any any ripples uh, across those different networks, the CNNs, the MSNBCs when it comes to this? Are they are they talking about how this is, you know, the, the rise of the alt-right because Musk is doing this stuff on Twitter? What's the narrative being spun by them? No, they're very, very uh, glad that Elon Musk is introducing, reintroducing free speech, Donnie. What are you talking about? Just oh, kidding. Sure. Just kidding. Uh, no, like literally they went apoplectic across the board. Uh, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, CBS, NBC, all, you know, got into the, uh, you know, the notion that this is just going to lead to more hate speech and more violence and, Yada, yada, yada. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm very glad that Elon Musk is uh, reinserting free speech on this platform. And he's also doing it on both sides of the aisle because he uh, also re-implemented Kathy Griffin, who goes on Twitter and says and does disgusting things that I mm -hmm. totally disagree with. But I will defend her right to do so because we do have the right to free speech in the United States. So I'm really glad that Elon Musk seems to be following through with what he said he would do by making Twitter the free speech uh, bastion that it should be. And um, I hope that this has a ripple effect. I'm not, 
not very confident about that. And um, Donnie, just, you know, to put a little bow on this, uh, the uh, new head of CNN uh, was recently quoted that, no, he is not going to make CNN more centrist. And he used a couple of expletives in that sentence <laughs> to just put a, you know, exclamation point on that. And uh, I, I, I haven't seen any sort of, uh, you know, pivot at CNN, MSNBC or any of these places, uh, especially, you know, we thought CNN might do an about face after their streaming service uh, collapsed in less than what, like two days, <laughs> but no, they have not learned a lesson. And I would say that they've actually gone even more so in favor of uh, anti Elon Musk, anti Twitter. Elon Musk is a racist. Elon Musk is this, he's that he's everything. So no, it's just par for the course. Yeah. CNN plus lasted like a half a Scaramucci, I think. <laughs> so, uh, Jim, uh, good, good, good topic. Uh, if you were to, if you were to follow like Twitter on any other social media or it's Reddit or something like that, like you would think that the entire, platform was just exploding at the you know at the ground floor um right to a point where i had to go on twitter and be like is this thing working yeah it seems like it's working <laughs> moved on but any final words on this yeah. uh, from you yeah well um you know actually the reason cbs this is obvious the reason cbs made a big show of leaving twitter was because they expected uh, ABC and NBC and CBS to follow, mm -hmm. um, or, you know, and these other net CNN, I should say to follow, uh, they were, they were trying to, you know, if that happened, they would have scared Musk into restoring the left's monopoly on free speech. Uh, and it's, it's desire to, you know, to censor anything that isn't, uh, uh, you know, that isn't on the left and it blew up in their faces. I mean, that's humiliating. <laughs> and I just, I'm, I'm just here for it. I just think it's, it's fantastic. Um, but you know, Musk just keeps, if you, if you go on Twitter and you follow his feed, he has basically spent the last four days trolling all of his, uh, yeah. you know, all of his, all of his critics. And, uh, and they think that actually I want, I want you guys to guess how many Twitter followers you followers you think Elon Musk has. Um, if you get within 5 million, uh, I'll give you some of the leftovers of my Turkey or a free Heartland t-shirt. So well, let's Trump, go around the horn. Trump has don't, like, don't cheat and look either. I won't. I won't. Trump has like 36 million or something like that. Right. And he's been off of it for what, a year now or something. So I'm going to guess more than that. I will put the, I will put my marker at 49. No, Chris, 15 million. It's higher than Donnie's. So let's just say that, make it easier. What did, what did Chris say? 60 million. <laughs> it's higher than 60 million. 60 million and one, Bob. Yeah, this is not the price. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's true. All I need to do is beat Chris. So uh, no. I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with one hundred and twenty five million. A hundred and eighteen million. Oh, wow. you missed it. You missed it. You you just we're, missing, we're not doing prices right no rules no one you says no that turkey. you can't go over he said within five that you were yeah that was five. close you're within seven that was close. right but yeah but let's 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 let this actually expose is that i'm and i'm thankful that elon musk is doing this because he you know he believes in free speech i mean he's he said that over and over we played the clip it got our channel a uh a flag for it because it was supposedly copyrighted, but we played that clip of him uh, on a TED talk, I believe, talking about his his dedication to free speech, you know. And he's he was brought up to believe what you know. I'm Generation X. What what Gen X was, you know, the, the country that we lived in, which was basically live and let live, you know, or uh, you know, or as the dude said in the Big Lebowski, that's just your opinion, man. 
you know, and, and as we used to say a lot, you know, hey, man, it's a free country. You can do whatever you want. Uh, there's an entire generation of Americans uh, or maybe two generations of Americans who, who are who don't think that way anymore. There's nothing more American than thinking, you know, hey, live and let live. You know, I don't I don't agree with you. Um, I don't even have to die to defend your right to say it. But, you know, I could just roll it and move on because this is a free country. Sure. And now we have two generations that don't believe in that at all. They believe that if uh, uh, if, if I'm offended, you have committed violence upon me. And we have, you know, and frankly, you know, these woke millennials have taken over all of the social media, all of tech. You know, Silicon Valley is just lousy with woke millennials. And they have brought those values, the values of censorship, these un-American, frankly, values to some of the most important communication tools in the, in the modern information age. And so Elon Musk on just, again, one platform deciding that, you know, actually, I think in America, uh, the First Amendment means something. I'm sure it's not the government censoring you. But the spirit of the First Amendment means that you must allow people to express themselves without losing your gosh darn mind mm -hmm. when somebody says something and it might offend you. And certainly not censoring people, censoring news that turns out to be correct but is inconvenient for one party. Uh, and just one last thing, uh, in some of the trolling that Elon Musk has done on Twitter in this past week, he mentioned something like, uh, mm -hmm. can anyone name for me any of these left-wing uh, uh, uh tweeters, you know, these left-wing people on Twitter who have been banned or have been shadow banned or have had their stuff uh, taken down or any of that stuff. No, and nobody ever can. It was always going in one direction. Sure. So thank you, Elon Musk. Thank you for bringing at least uh, uh, the beginnings of some sort of normalcy and some balance and some appreciation for free speech when it really matters. All right. Uh, that, that's, uh, that is a, a hearty helping of some uh, Twitter stuffing there. But uh, <laughs> let's see what else we can get on the table. Uh, let's, go to, let's go to Chris next. Chris, what do you have to bring to our, uh, to our policy Thanksgiving here? All right, Donnie, this was not exactly the easiest decision because, believe it or not, there are actually a couple of things that I'm really thankful for right now. But I narrowed it down to the fact that the Republican Party has taken back the House of Representatives. And this is going to be a much needed check against the Biden administration and their you know, crazy spending. And I think this is going to also uh, be very important because this is going to allow them to investigate some of the things that must be investigated, namely Hunter Biden, laptop, the border, uh, the entire Ukraine situation, uh, the uh, the uh, January 6th um, treatment of the uh, political prisoners. So I think there's a lot to be done. But I also really, really hope that the GOP, uh, you know, gets together and comes out with a uh, unified uh, agenda that the American people are going to get behind. That ha that remains to be seen. But that that's my hope. That's my hope. You know, so so we we talked about uh, we talked about the elections. I think last week or maybe the week before that. I don't know. Everything's blurred together. But uh, so we talked about that. But um, there was a conversation that I heard on a radio show on my way home on Friday night, really late. I was listening to conservative talk radio, and there was a discussion about the uh, impending investigation and Hunter Biden and all of that. And the the two hosts of the show were talking about you know whether or not. 
that was an appropriate thing to spend, you know, Republican time and effort on uh, investigating and whether or not they should investigate something else on uh, over the the Hunter Biden thing, uh, you know, whether or not they should pursue, you know, different things as it relates to Fauci or COVID or like you said, border stuff or anything like that. So um, unless unless anyone has kind of a general take on the Republicans taking over the House that you didn't express last week, I'm kind of curious about what you think about uh, what we should spend that time investigating. So on that question, I'll go back to you, Chris, before I ask the other two. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's a really important question. This has been brought up many times to uh, people like Jim Jordan and James Comer, who are going to be chairing the committees that are going to be responsible for this. And I think that they've made a really uh, good point where they can do multiple things. They can actually chew gum and walk at the same time. So they can actually uh, investigate a bunch of different things that need to be investigated and they can use their uh, their positions on the, you know, on, on the committees to do that while at the same time also making sure that the business that needs to be done is done. So it's, I, I just, I, I reject the premise that it's one or the other. It's not because they can do multiple things at once. And I, I'm confident that they are going to be able to do that. I just hope that the media doesn't portray them as uh, being obstructionists and being, you know, these crazy radicals who are just trying to, uh, you know, uh, pick a bone with with President Biden, because this is far more than that. This is actually, you know, uncovering the massive corruption that is, you know, part and parcel to the, uh, you know, to the Biden syndicate. And President Biden, you know, has a lot of questions that he needs to be answered. I want to know, are you the big guy? I want to know, did you get 10 percent? I want to know all these things and I want to know them now. <laughs> Just, Justin, what are your thoughts on uh, any of what Chris had to say there? Yeah, I mean, look, um, even if Republicans had won overwhelmingly in the Senate, not a lot would have been done because, I mean, at best, they were going to get a, a few vote margin uh, in the Senate. I mean, that was kind of the best case scenario. And it, it's not as though they would be able to pass bills or laws with uh, turn bills into laws with Joe Biden in the White House. And frankly, as we've seen in the past, even with 51, 52 Republican seats, you can't really get much done on that front anyway. And so really, in a, in a lot of ways, until we get to 2024, 2025, the only thing really that Congress can do is either obstruct Biden's agenda at every chance they get, which they really can't do when they don't have control of anything. And now that they'll have control of the House, they can do a little bit of that um, and investigate. I mean, that's that's really all you can do. So I think investigations are important, but I think it's I think it's vital that they don't uh, make the mistake of going crazy with this and it being used against them as a way of saying Republicans don't have an agenda. They don't care about, you know, what's going on with regular people. They're not trying to solve any problems. All they're trying to do is settle political scores. If that becomes the image and we've seen this in the past many, many times. Um, these investigations, even when they uncover things, often they often backfire uh, on on the people trying to do this. I mean, the class the, the classic example of that is the Bill Clinton impeachment stuff. I mean, um, Bill Clinton lied, and you know he was clearly engaged in all sorts of really bad behavior, not just the sexual relations stuff, but other things as well. And he ended up winning 
he ended up becoming, you know, winning a second term. It didn't didn't matter that there were all of these concerns and everything. Democrats still did very well overall. It's not as though that derailed the the Bill Clinton agenda, really. It, it really didn't. Um, and, you know, the same thing could be true of, I think, in a lot of ways, Donald Trump. Um, I think the, these investigations hurt Donald Trump to some degree, but I don't think that uh, I actually think he he became more popular after the investigations were kind of wrapping up. Uh, so I don't really know how much they hurt him. I think COVID is really what hurt Donald Trump and the reason why he didn't he wasn't successful. So I, I do want to see and I do want to see at least one investigation. And Chris alluded to it before. And I do think it is important. Joe Biden is clearly, or at least this is what the evidence seems to show. It seems to show that he is clearly connected to some very nefarious business deals, international business deals going on in Ukraine and elsewhere, perhaps with China, involving his son. And that's that's what the Hunter Biden laptop revealed or seems to reveal. That's what the, the a lot of those emails show. And I... I think you have to investigate that because if you can find a real link uh, and you can bring these people in front of Congress and you can have investigations about, about that, I mean, I, I think that that would do a significant amount of damage to the Biden administration, which is really important because they are a train wreck that's destroying America and anything we can do to derail that is good, but also because we shouldn't have a criminal president of the United States. So you know, it's worth investigating that. But I don't think that they should go nuts with it either. Sure. And what I don't want to see is them focusing too much on his family, um, just in and of itself, apart from Biden's connection to it. I don't want to see them focusing too much on January 6th stuff. I don't want to see them focusing too much on election fraud. I, I want them to try as hard as they can to focus on policies that are designed clearly or, or at least marketed clearly as being a way to help people. And I think that anything they can do to, uh, to, to make that message, the focus is going to be really good for conservatives going forward. If they sure. get bogged down in all this other crap, then I do worry that it's going to be used against them and people are going to brush it all off. And, you know, so, uh, but I, but I, with all that said, I do think the investigation of Joe Biden and any kind of, any kind of business activity that he had related to Hunter and these business deals that happened with China, Ukraine, potentially other places. I think that is a really important story that they need to dig into, but all the rest of it, I would probably just leave it alone. And I, I don't unfortunately think they will, but I hope that they do. Uh, Jim, you've you've uh, you've been around uh, a little bit longer than some of us here. So, how do you how do you see with those extra years under your belt, uh, kind of this decades. playing out? I think extra decades is the. I mean, years yeah. also works, but. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, uh, my brain doesn't work as fast. I have to process that a little bit here, and I can hardly hear you because of my elderly ears as well. <laughs> Look, uh, I, yeah, I've been around a while. Uh, hearings are are largely meaningless. Um, you know, do, do, is, does a part of me kind of want revenge mm -hmm. on the Democrats and the media for the way they treated uh, Donald Trump? Uh, I would like to see investigations into the beginning of the um, investigations of Donald Trump. I want uh, a hearing to discuss the uh, the meetings that were held in the White House to sick the FBI on the incoming president of the United States and spy on him illegally and other people around him 
to frame him for things he did not do in order to impeach him for nothing. I would like to see investigations of an audit of the money that we're sending to Ukraine. What is it now, Justin? 50, 60, 70 trillion dollars? Like nobody even knows. Uh, I, I just I did read the other day that Billion, we have spent more money to Ukraine than the entire um, budget for the entire military of the state of Russia. And we've done that in a year, in less than a year. Um, I want to see, I, I would like an investigation that talks about auditing where that money goes. Um, I would like to see an investigation. Actually, I'd like to see what happens to the January 6th committee. Do the Republicans get to take it over and have no Democrats uh, of any, well, you know, basically no Democrats on the committee? Do they get to just hold hearings and uh, maybe find out who Ray Epps is and why he was uh, trying to rile people up to storm the Capitol the night before? And why, uh, you know, uh, Trump fans were yelling, Fed, Fed, Fed. Um, a, a story, I think, just broke this week that talked about how many FBI informants were involved in the, uh, um, in, in the people that were around the Capitol on January 6th. Who were those FBI agents? Who were these assets? What did they do? How much planning did they do of the things that happened on January 6th? These are things the January 6th farce committee had no interest in answering. So maybe the uh, Republicans get to have their own January 6th committee that is completely one-sided. And maybe we'll actually, at the end of it, get some kind of balanced uh, information. I'd like to see the uh, Republicans, uh, they, what, Fauci in the White House yesterday said, uh, preparing for, you know, the eventual subpoenas that will come from the Republican House of Representatives, says, uh, I'm, yeah, I have nothing to hide. Oh, great. Uh, I think he can say that with confidence because the media... And the, the, you know, the, the establishment, the system, the deep state have protected him his entire career. So he could just sit there and lie with impunity and nothing will happen to him. Um, he was tried, somebody tried to ask him a question yesterday about what he thought of the, um, you know, of China's role and the lab leaks and all that stuff. Uh, and, you know, he just walked off. In fact, he was cut off by uh, Corinne. Uh, the reporter was cut off by Corinne Jean-Pierre, said that uh, Fauci didn't have to answer it. So, yeah, it would be nice to see somebody other than the singular um, Rand Paul question seriously Anthony Fauci, mm -hmm. not just about um, disastrous COVID policies that didn't work, that were never going to work, that the science said were not going to work, like masks, for instance, don't stop viruses like that. Everybody knew that. I'd like to see an accounting for all of that. But yes, Donnie, uh, I have been around a while. I've seen a lot of hearings. Nothing ever comes of it. Nothing. Right, it's right. just it just it becomes theater. It becomes ways for partisans on each side to uh, to you know, to kind of get their 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 political uh, you know emotions out and, yeah, and then get footage, and then you raise money on it, and then you roll into the next election. Um, you know what really should happen, and, and and the and the Congress doesn't have the power to do this. Is frankly arrest Anthony Fauci. Arrest him. Charge Congress has the power to, to uh, subpoena, but they don't have the power to uh, prosecute. And, right. and Donnie, nothing's going to happen because the Biden DOJ is not going to do anything about it. And like Jim just said, uh, Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI, was in front of Congress a couple of days ago. And they asked him point blank how many uh, FBI uh, agents were involved, you know, in the January 6th uh, insurrection, plainclothes, you know, 
FBI agents, he just refused to answer. Hmm. And this just reminds me of Lois Lerner, who just refused to answer questions about the IRS going after conservatives, or Eric Holder, who just refused to, you know, to answer questions about Fast and Furious and a whole bunch of other things. And yeah, Congress can hold them in contempt, but that's about all they can do. And I'm just, I, 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 I agree with Jim that nothing is going to come of this. And also the uh, mainstream media is already uh, planting the seed that these Republicans are just out there to, you know, attack, you know, the, the Democrats, and this is all unwarranted. And, you know, most Americans, I think, are probably like, like thinking that that is the case that, oh, this is all just, you know, getting back at the Democrats for impeachment of Trump and all this kind of stuff. When it, it, it's not, they're completely separate. All right, all right, we're we're going down a, a like a gym rant. Everything <laughs> sucks kind of road here. So we got to pull back the reins. This is okay. What we're thankful for may episode. I may, may, may I make one just one very 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 quick point. Yes, I but am, then I'm going to turn it over to Justin for his course. Absolutely, here. I am extremely extremely thankful. I cannot express my gratitude that Kevin McCarthy has pledged to take Elon Omar off the Foreign Relations Committee. He has pledged to take Eric Swalwell off the uh, Foreign Intelligence Committee. And thank God there is a God. He has uh, pledged that he will take Adam Schiff off of the Foreign Intelligence Committee. Nice. Thank God. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. And don't, don't be, don't be, I mean, look, not every family has a uh, cranky conservative uncle. So I'm, I'm doing all this out here as a public Good service. Point. Everybody. Good point. Just play, Good this point. For, gotta... just play this on the TV. <laughs> all right, Justin, uh, hit us with your, uh, with your uh, side here. What, what do you, what do you got for us? Uh, you know, I, th- I thought, I thought about this long and hard. Um, and I've got a, a few different things. Uh, that I think could easily be could easily be the choice. Um, in one way, I, I think the most important thing is is probably uh, just everything that's been going on in Florida over the past uh, few years. Okay, that's your, um, that's your that's your what you're bringing to the table. Yeah, the whole state of Florida. I'm bringing <laughs> the whole state of Florida to the table. And, and here and here's why. It, it, it's the Republican Party and conservatism in general has, I think sort of sort of gone off the rails in a lot of ways and lost its lost its way in especially when it comes to messaging and figuring out what people really care about and how to focus the messaging on things that care and to highlight the most important issues and topics but in Florida that has not been the case i i think that Ron DeSantis governor Ron DeSantis in Florida i think that Marco Rubio senator Marco Rubio there I think a bunch of other politicians in Florida have done a better job than than politicians pretty much anywhere in the country, certainly in any of the major states or in, even in Washington, D.C., to make the emphasis uh, making life better for the regular person and how they do that and standing up to big interests and keeping focus on the issues that matter most to people and emphasizing the importance of freedom, even in the midst of tremendous amounts of pressure to reject freedom. And I, I don't think there's been a state that's done a better job. I shouldn't say that. There probably are states, probably in, in, in especially like um, the Mountain West and you know Wyoming and places like that that have done a great job as well. But Florida was under so much pressure, Governor DeSantis and others, to go in a particular direction when it came to COVID, when it came to dealing with woke corporations, when it came to a whole bunch of topics, 
and they have consistently, strongly articulated a conservative message on all of these different issues. And I think that that that's one of the reasons why uh, Ron DeSantis won by nearly 20 points in his um, election earlier this this uh, month um, when he barely won the first time that he ran. Barely won. And now he won by nearly 20 points. Marco Rubio, who also barely won when he was first elected to Congress, won by like 16 points, I think. Mm, I mean, right. these are unprecedented, unprecedented victories. And so I'm, I'm thankful for them for not only you know, doing a good job, uh, but also for showing a roadmap for how conservatives should behave, how they should act, what they should focus on, what the emphasis should be, because that is a recipe for success. In a lot of other places, they're not doing what they're doing in Florida. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that that's something to celebrate. And I think it's something to hold up and say, look, there's a reason why Florida, which has all has been a purple state, for my entire life, why that state is now electing a Republican governor by almost 20 percentage sure. points, which is unthinkable. I mean, that was unthinkable just a few years ago. And now this is and, and a, a Republican senator, too. So you can't just say, well, it's just one guy. Sure. It's not. I mean, that's an incredible, incredible story. So okay. I guess I'm going with that. I guess I'm going with Florida and Ron DeSantis and Marco Rubio and other people in Florida have been doing a fantastic job. Um, I think that's the thing that I'm most grateful for right now. Okay. Uh, Chris, Jim, either of you have a, have a comment on this? Yeah, I think that Justin laid it out very well. I think that uh, unlike the national uh, GOP, the uh, Florida you know, GOP had a very strong message to uh, deliver to the people. They've, you know, they've governed, you know, the state very well. Uh, people have been uh, coming to Florida in droves. They've been escaping New York. They've been escaping California and they're going there because uh, Ryan DeSantis, you know, is governing like a you know conservative should govern. And I think that a lot of people uh, are, are very aware that, you know, he is uh, doing what he said he would do. And it's, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's, 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 it's not only, you know, good for the people of Florida, but I think it's also good for Republicans around the country to use that as a model to sure. to try to, um, you know, mimic in 2024 and beyond, because being opposed to the Biden agenda and just attacking the other side is not nearly enough. You have to be for something. Sure. And that's one thing that I think was uh, very much missing from uh, Republican candidates across the board this year. It's not enough to say we are, you know, we are against what's happening. What are you for? And mm -hmm. that's something that I think that Brian DeSantis and Marco Rubio and Rick Scott and many others in Florida did a uh, extremely good job of uh, laying out to the people. All right. Well, I want to I want to leave enough uh, room at the end of this to talk about what makes up our, our our thumbnail for this episode. So we have to leave room for for that cricket talk. But I am going to bring uh, my side or, you know, my my dish to this party here. And that it's going to it's going to sound a little self-serving, a little patting myself on the back and, and, and Justin on the back. But uh, oh, okay. I think we can't. have. Yes, you're fine with it now. I don't think we can have a talk about success uh, of in the year, you know, 2022 without talking about uh, our contributions to the, 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 the great reset concept, exposing the great reset, exposing ESG and all of that. And that started off very early this year with the release of the Glenn Beck's book, 
uh, and Justin, right, co-author, uh, The Great Reset, Joe Biden and the Rise of 21st Century Fascism. And I bring up all of this because when Justin and I first started kicking around uh, what ended up, you know, contributing to this book, uh, finding out all of the stuff about The Great Reset, getting all into, uh, you know, putting the puzzle pieces of ESG together, we thought, like, wow, this is this is horrible. Like, this is horrifying. And there doesn't seem to be anything we can do to stop this. So, so with the help though, of, of Glenn Beck uh, and all the work that we've been doing here at the Heartland Institute, we've been trying to sound the alarms that everything related to ESG and the great reset as loudly as possible, trying to reach as many people as possible, just simply for the exposure of it. Uh, it was flying under the radar for way too long. And we got this to national attention. You know, you turn on Fox News, you turn on OAN, you turn on anything. And at some point, they're going to be talking about the Great Reset or ESG or anything like that. And it got so much attention uh, that state lawmakers started reaching out to us and saying, yeah, we, we see that this is an issue. What can we do about it? So we've been, you know, over the, the last several months, we've been trying to work with anyone who will listen to us, anyone that will work with us to expose ESG. And just recently, uh, at the end of last week, Justin and I went down to uh, Dallas and we did a convention with a, a whole bunch of different state lawmakers talking about ESG and telling them all about how terrible this, this system could be and the amount of control that it'll put in the hands of just a handful of people and all of that. All of these people, well, a ton of them, came up to us asking us more questions, wanting uh, our emails so that we can get more information to them or from them or all of this. It was it was an incredible amount of enthusiasm in that crowd. And I think it was something that in our most rosy of, of, uh, of predictions at the beginning of the year, we would not have predicted this. So, Justin, I'll, I'll hand it over to you for your comments on, on my, my dish here first. Yeah, I mean, I also am thankful for myself. So, um, <laughs> that's, yeah, if yeah, that's so, how we're going to do this. Seriously, uh, guys, you know, like you're, you're thankful for how awesome you are. I think you're kind of missing the spirit here. No, I don't think we are. I think this is exactly Oh, Jim, you got muted. What's going on? That's yeah, some, I know. some technical um, difficulties. Yeah, look, I, I, I think... We've got to get pats in the back from somebody. So, yeah, yeah, know. I know. That's a, that's a good point. If, if we're not going <laughs> to celebrate ourselves, who's going to celebrate us? Um, that's right. Look, I, I think that, uh, you know, everything Donnie said is exactly right. Um, but in a way, it, it's to try to make this seem a little less self-serving. Um, in, in a way, I, the, the reason we're so stunned by it is because of the reaction and effort of so many other people. I mean, we were, Donald and I were in a dark place at the end of 2021 because we understood the problem, but we felt like nobody was going to take it seriously. I mean, right. that, that, that was what we, that's what we truly believed. And I had meetings with a lot of important people who understood the issue, uh, but who, um, felt the same way. I mean, I remember, I remember one meeting with Glenn Beck in his office where he and I sat down, we're talking about ESG and all this stuff. And, and he, you know, he basically said, I don't know how to give people hope for this. I, I, it just doesn't seem like, you know, we're going to be able to pull this off. And that was how a lot of us felt going into 2022. And then the book came out as a huge success and people ran with that idea. You know, you can, you can talk about a problem all day long. It, it doesn't matter. 
unless people care about it, they take that message and they go out and they do things in their community. And that's, those people are really the people that made this a, such a huge success over this past year. I mean, we're talking about um, dozens and dozens and dozens of state lawmakers all across the country taking this issue seriously when we didn't think they would. Uh, various members of Congress starting to take this issue very seriously when we didn't think that they would. Um, Governor DeSantis in Florida taking this issue seriously when I thought there's no way he'll ever even find out about it. Uh, and then just the grassroots effort, just millions and millions of people talking about it on social media and sharing this with their friends and family, obviously buying the book, doing all that stuff. And it was huge, absolutely huge. And so, I, I mean, I, I'm thankful that people are, you know, it's easy to be pessimistic about things and, and, and we should be pessimistic, honestly, in a lot of ways. There's a lot of really bad things happening in the world and, and, and America is headed in a very bad direction because of the way we've been educating young people for a long time. But what this showed was that there are lots of people who are not giving up. They're not willing to give up and they are willing to keep fighting and they are willing to keep pushing back regardless of the cost and take on the world's largest institutions, because that's what the great reset and ESG and all of that is. We're not talking about just a political battle. We're talking about all of the major corporations, all of the major banks, all of the major, or almost all of the major insurance companies. We're talking about all of the most powerful people in the world, essentially, the vast majority of them are all in bed with this one idea. And regular people were the ones who pushed back against that. I mean, that is a, that is a remarkable thing. It really is. And so I, I'm, I am truly so grateful that people despite everything that's happened, despite being beaten down by COVID and going through all these terrible things and having even disappointing elections and all of that stuff are still willing to fight and say, you know what? I don't care how bad things get. I'm not going to give up on my country no matter sure. what happens. And that's, that's really what this whole thing symbolizes for me is that. And so I'm very grateful for all those people out there who, who have, made taking the time and effort to make this a core issue. And I hope that they continue doing that. And if they do, I really think we're going to end up winning this battle in the end. Chris or, uh, Chris or, uh, Jim comments. Well, yeah, just real quick. You know, I, I follow the you know mainstream media really closely and I can say that after your guys's book came out, it unleashed a tidal wave of other people who came out and started to speak against the great reset. So I think you guys really were the pioneers you know, in this entire field and working out for that book, you know, being a New York Times number one bestseller and, you know, Glenn and Justin and, and Donnie and everything that you guys have done in the months since that we would not be in the strong position we are to finally, you know, oppose the uh, Great Reset because, you know, we've got a lot of, you know, large institutions, very powerful institutions working against us. But as you guys showed, just like Thomas Paine, when he released Common Sense, all it takes is, you know, one person or, you know, a couple people, uh, you know, educating the, the population to what's really going on. And that can that can light a spark that can actually turn into a brush fire. You know it. Jim, final comments. No, congratulations to you guys. I think that's all that is is correct. And uh, yeah, the, the world is a lot more awake to what the Great Reset is. It's still called a conspiracy theory, <laughs> but but decreasingly so, I think. Uh, and as we have, we've as we've you know we've talked about it on this pod and stop, stopping socialism TV for almost going on two years now. 
uh, maybe it's even more than that. And uh, it's been mainstreamed. And that's uh, in large part because of the effort of you guys, uh, the Heartland Institute and uh, Glenn Beck. So I'm thankful for all of that. All right, folks. And uh, so that's that's what we're bringing to the Thanksgiving, the policy Thanksgiving here on the In the Tank podcast. Uh, I'm curious if there's any other topics that you guys are all grateful for, that you're thankful for that happened in this year. Put it in the comments. I'm very curious to see uh, you know, some of the things that we missed. Obviously, we haven't been able to cover everything on this podcast. But if you were to ask um, Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum to bring a dish to our Thanksgiving dinner, it probably wouldn't be turkey. It probably wouldn't be stuffing. Uh, it probably wouldn't be a green bean casserole. No, 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 no. It'll probably be a nice heaping pile of crickets. <laughs> and Jim, you already you already mentioned that, uh, you know, there's this there's this. The push to label everything underneath the Great Reset as just being some conspiracy theory. It doesn't matter that we can pull up all of the documents and everything that supports all of the things that we've ever said about the Great Reset. It's a conspiracy theory. And similarly, there's this, uh, this case to try to discredit anyone talking about this concept that anyone in, this, in these upper echelon, these Davos types, want us to eat crickets? Oh, that's just so crazy. It's got to be a conspiracy theory. So and even I was a little bit, uh, you know, sympathetic to that idea that this is that this is kind of baseless because it just seems so crazy. Like, I don't I understand if you think that this is crazy uh, because it sounds crazy. But if you just go to the World Economic Forum website and you just look up crickets or if you look up insects, if you look up bugs or anything, you will find a not one, not two, not three. But like several articles, I've got six here. Uh, I'm going to pull this up here. If you're watching the video version, you'll see all the articles that I'm talking about. But you'll see across the top here of the window that I'm sharing a whole bunch of tabs all coming from the World Economic Forum's official website. Uh, this first article is from 2018, uh, labeled under food security. The headline is, could insect farms meet our food demands of the future? Uh, here's another article. This one's under agriculture, food, and beverage titled Good Grub, Why We Might Be Eating Insects Soon. Uh, another article, this one under sustainable development, burgers, bugs, and the shift to a new way of eating. Another one under food security, why we need to give insects the role they deserve in our food system. My personal favorite, this one's under climate change, five reasons why eating insects could reduce climate change. <laughs> Here's another one under food security worms for dinner. Europe backs insect based food in a bid to promote alternative protein. So if you go through here, uh, the, the common thread through all of this is that humanity society can uh, get protein through insects way uh, with much less uh, resource intensive, you know, growing, you know, what it would take to grow pigs or chickens or cows or anything like that. It takes way less resources to grow that amount of protein with insects. That's the common thread, the uh, thread that you see through all of these articles that is way more sustainable of a practice to get our protein uh, for humanity, society through insects, as opposed to your your standard, uh, you know, Ronald McDonald farm animals. So it's not a conspiracy at all. It's all on their website. It's all right there. So I'm not I'm not reading between lines here. I'm literally looking at their articles. So I don't know 
who can suggest that this is some type of conspiracy but uh before i get into any details of this um i'm gonna throw it to to you jim Uh, what 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 is your thoughts when you just look at the litany of articles i have presented here for you um it's the the power of propaganda i mean uh, the the propaganda works when it's relentless and uh (laughs) there's one thing the wef is and these you know the globalists are it is relentless because they have unlimited money they have quite a lot of power and they start off just trying to introduce the idea maybe you guys will get into this but eventually it becomes compulsion because they will outlaw the, the um, you know, beef industry and, um, you know, they'll do other regulations that make it impossible for anybody uh, to, to have a poultry farm and, and to feed the world. And they're not actually interested in humanity. Um, they're interested in uh, controlling whatever humans they will allow to live on Earth. Uh, that is what they're actually that's what they're that's where their entire purpose of the World Economic Forum is. It is not prosperity. It is certainly not freedom. Uh, it is control. And uh, right. this is all part of it. If you can make normal people eat bugs for crying out loud for protein, you can do anything. I mean, if 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 this is the point where I'm eating bugs because I'm I am that broken as a human being that I am eating bugs, that I'm eating insects. Look, I'm a human being. I'm a man. I like to eat beef and chicken and fish and and uh, and turkey. Uh, and and pork and all that, you know, because that is what we uh, as a species have been raised to hunt and eat our entire life. You only eat insects if, as a human being if you are completely desperate. Right. Um, I'm not a bird. I am not a larger insect. So I am not going to be eating other insects. Go to hell. <laughs> so, uh, so well, real quick. Uh, so, Justin, I mean, like, like, like I said at the the other segment that we were talking about, you know, we we started getting into the the Great Reset at the ground level, and you know, admittedly, there was a lot of trying to parse out what is like the the BS here and what is like the the real stuff. Like, we had to sift through some of the conspiracy theory stuff to make sure that we were only covering what is backed up by the actual documents and all of that. And this was one of the things that I was totally willing to cast aside is just like not conspiracy. They they don't want to eat bugs or whatever. But then like when you see these articles, this is from CBC News talking about how a massive cricket processing facility comes online in London, Ontario. This is just this is from July of this year. Uh, it's the largest it's the largest facility of its kind opening up in North America. So it's not only is it just, you know, these academic type articles on some academic organization's website like, no, we're actually seeing this come to fruition. So what if, what's your thoughts on this topic? I mean, I think it, it, it what's interesting for to me and what has interested me for a long time about not just the World Economic Forum uh, in general, but just, just sort of the left in general uh, when it comes to environmentalism, especially because this is all being sold as a necessary thing. You got to eat bugs because, you know, cows produce methane and it's bad for the planet and water use and all this stuff, right? It's always some sort of environmental causes behind these things. What I, what I find really interesting about this is like, these things are actually the most logical uh, approach to the things that they're telling us. So for example, if, if you really believe the world's about to end because of methane emissions, then yeah, you should be eating bugs. That makes sense. Mm. What, what doesn't make sense is that 
everyone on the left isn't calling for us to eat bugs right now. Shouldn't we sure. be eating bugs already? Right. And the same thing is true with like air travel and all these other things, the size of our homes, everything. And so what I find really strange, it, it almost, it requires like a, a deep psychological, sociological analysis of the left is at times they completely ignore like basic contradictions to their ideas and then at other times they go in the absolute most extreme direction that they possibly can headlong so like on the one hand they're not out there saying you know what stop flying planes you know you mean you might have some crazy saying that but you don't have like the world economic forum saying that right but they are saying eat crickets and so it's like i don't i don't understand like getting in the minds of people who say you know we can't say not to fly planes because no one's going to believe that. But you know what they might do? Eat crickets. Let's go with that. That's the more sellable thing. Like, that's not sellable at all. So it's just this bizarre world that they live in where in order to do the things they say are necessary for us to survive as a planet, sure. we have to do things like eat bugs. But then on the other hand, they're not willing to move out of their gigantic mansions on the beach and stop flying planes. And, you know, they're not willing to do those things. So it's just this really bizarre, contradictory world that they live in. And it's not it's not like other leftist policies where you say, OK, like minimum wage laws. Well, minimum wage laws are bad, but they think they're good. See, so I understand that they're just wrong on minimum wage laws, right? They, they don't work very well. They kill the economy, but they think they're good for people. And I can see why they would think that. But when it comes to a lot of environmental stuff, it's not just that they're wrong. It's that it's like crazy stuff mixed with completely ignoring and being com contradictory with all these other positions that they take. Sure. It's just, it's like I said, it's, it's, I'm almost fascinated by this more than I am angry or anything else. It's just right. like, I can't believe that there's anybody out there suggesting this while flying in private jets and owning gigantic mansions. If we are at a point where we have to be eating crickets in order to save humanity, then I, I think we should get rid of the planes and stuff like that first. You know, if that's true, if that really is true, that's what we should be doing that first. I think I would rather not fly anywhere than be forced to eat bugs the rest of my life. And I think right. most people agree with me. And yet somehow we've skipped straight to the bug eating. <laughs> and I, I don't know well, how this happened. I mean, Chris, I, I, <clears throat> we're, we're already north of a, an hour here, but I want you to be able to uh, chime in on this topic. Uh, so <laughs> what do you think about any of what was just talked about in the last 10 minutes here? Two very quick comments. So I remember when I was a teenager, Joe Rogan hosted a show called Fear Factor. And on that show, a lot of the challenges were people having to eat bugs. And a lot of times the people flat out refused to eat the bugs, even if they were you know, going to get paid money. So there's that thing. <laughs> and second of all, at the uh, at, at COP27 and all the World Economic uh, Forum, uh, you know, soirees in Davos and around the world, not only do they fly in private jets, but hey, guess what? I saw the menu that uh, COP27. It was filet mignon. It was sea bass. It was all of these, you know, uh, you know, these, uh, you know, all, all types of meats. Yeah. So it's just it's so frustrating that they are sitting there dining on, uh, you know, filet mignon and, 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 and any any meat that they can get their hands on. Yet they're telling the masses oh, just eat bugs. You're not yeah. you're, you're, you're you're not you're not allowed to eat meat. Only we are. It's just yeah. it, 
it's so frustrating. Yeah, I, I don't suppose that they're eating, you know, cricket a la range at uh, Davos no, this year. No, which is why in that <laughs> thumbnail, it should have Klaus with a giant turkey stuffed in his face and then, you know, putting the cricket and then, you know, for everyone else at the table. Yeah, that would point. be a much more uh, accurate depiction of, of how they operate. On very, very, very good point. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this special Thanksgiving episode of the In the Tank podcast. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to this episode. Tune in every week for a new episode. Uh, if you are just listening to the audio version, join us live on Thursdays at noon. You can be part of the conversation. You can put your comments and questions in the chat. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Also, make sure to hit that like button hit that subscribe button if you haven't already hit that share button leave a comment under the video all things that will cost you nothing but just a couple of seconds of time that will greatly help us break through that big tech algorithm that prevents content like this from being shown to more people if you'd like you can follow us at twitter at in the tank pod if you have any comments questions or for, or suggestions for the show feel free to email us at in the tank podcast at gmail.com jim lakely where can the fine people find you find me at jay lakely on twitter at heartland inst on twitter and always visit heartland.org fantastic justin haskins where can the fine people find you uh they can find me at justin t haskins on facebook uh getter parlor all those places and of course not socialist twitter they can also find me there at justin t haskins <laughs> that's right a newly liberated Twitter, I think they're calling yeah. it. Uh, Chris Talgo, what do you have to pitch today? Heartland.org and stopinsocialism.com. Uh, next week, we're going to have a, a big report about how socialist candidates did in the 2022 midterm election. And I think everyone needs to check it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Happy Thanksgiving. We will talk to you next week.